and it says the day that Tzadik's Yulula, the Tzadik passed away, is a day that all the effort that he did in his lifetime sends to heaven, and every year reaches a higher place than ever before. And from that higher place of the impact of all of his work and effort throughout his life, from there comes salvation to us in this on this earth. So today, speaking of salvation on this earth, I wanted to um, look at something, as al Rebbe said, to live with the times. This week's, this week's Torah portion talks about leaving Egypt. And leaving Egypt is something that's as the Talmud tells us, it's not just something in the past, but in every generation, every day, we're supposed to view ourselves as if we ourselves left Egypt. I wanted to take a one of the points which are really a building block, the Aleph base, the alphabet of Hasidus, how this really gives us the ability to, to leave the uh, various kinds of Egypt that every one of us experiences things that limit us and stop us from being the way that <clears throat> we can be. In this week's Torah portion, Hashem announces He's going to take us out of Egypt. And there were four, there are four exiles. This, Egypt was the first. And Hashem's announcement begins with, I will take you out of Sivlis Mitzrayim. I'll take you out of, the way it's usually translated is, the suffering in Egypt. But Sivlis doesn't really translate as suffering. Hasidic masters, the Kotzker, he says the word Sivlis means patience. Savl <coughs> means suffering. <coughs> when Hashem says, I'll take you out of Egypt, He says, I'll take you out of the patience. Because often what keeps us in Egypt is the fact that we think that there's no other place, there's no, there's no other opportunity. There's no other choice, and we have to be there. We think that we don't have the power to leave, we don't have the desire to leave, we don't have the chance to leave. Therefore, we we are satisfied being the way we are because we think this has to be this way, it can't be any other way. I don't know if this is true, I heard that there are places still in Africa where there are no chains, there are no uh, gates, but there are people who are living as slaves because they don't know there is another way of living. They think that's what life is. They think that their life has to be about what others do to them. And they don't have their own, they don't have an identity of knowing that there is another, another way to live. And that's really the greatest kind of uh, slavery. And that's what happened when the Jews were in Egypt. It says that 80% stayed in Egypt. And the reason they stayed in Egypt, this book, Talmud says, because they didn't want to leave Egypt. But the question is, how could they not want to leave Egypt? Who wouldn't want to leave Egypt? And the answer is, is that they didn't know that they are in Egypt. They thought that this is just the way life is. And so too, on a personal level, in our own Egypts, whether Egypt is our lusts or our arrogance or our anger or our addictions to social media or to television or to whatever it is. So what, what, what happens is, is that it's not that we... Um, we don't want to leave. It's just we don't know that we're 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 we're, we're in a Egypt, that we're stuck somewhere. The uh, there was a gentleman who bought eight burial plots. Why eight burial plots? Because he said, "I have this these cars that I really, I really love. I want them to go with me." 
So there is there are people that there's a scratch. You made a scratch on their car, and they will they will literally kill because you made a scratch in the car. So how does it start that we get into in Egypt? How does it start that we we get so confused? So it says in the Torah, how did Jewish people enter Egypt? Enter what? What was the kind of thing we did in Egypt? The Torah describes it as avedas perach. This Perach is usually translated as back-breaking labor. But Perach, the Talmud says, means Perach, which means a soft tongue. And originally, uh, the Pharaoh came to all of us and said, uh, citizens of Egypt unite, we're going to rebuild Egypt, and anyone who participates, for every brick you put up, you will get paid. Every brick will give you a coin. And so on day one, Everyone worked as hard as they could to make as many bricks as they could because they wanted to gain as much money as they thought they, they could earn. And then the next day, the Pharaoh says, okay, that's what you have to do every single day. This is, you have to. You're not getting anything. So in a similar way, our Egypt does, everyone's Egypt begins in exactly the same way. It begins with a soft tongue. It says, enjoy life. And it says, just enjoy this. This is, this is um, and when you start to enjoy this thing which seems to be so attractive, then you get stuck in it. And then you get, as the Torah says, they threw the Jewish boys into the, into the Nile, you drown in it. And until you're so submerged in it, they don't even feel, again, that you don't have the power, you don't have the chance, you don't have the, the ability to... Um, or worse, you say it's good to be here. This is the way things are supposed to be. And you join that 80% that stays in Egypt with that thought. And you have the thought one day, you know, I want to change. And then you succumb to, this is good the way it is. I can't get out. I don't want to get out. And with that, all of a sudden, that thought you had that was going to take you somewhere um, goes back, fades, fades away, and you join the 80%. So God tells us, when you take four sentences about our redemption, he tells us, I will take you out of Egypt, and the conclusion of the God's four sentences is, and you will know that I am Hashem. Baal Shem Tov explains that the real meaning of exile is in our das, in our knowledge. And there are many meanings of that. One of them is that Egypt means, being in Egypt means you don't know that you're in Egypt. You think that things are okay. So, let's learn a little bit about ourselves. And let's get out of there. So, today, let's just think about something. A fundamental truth that the author says in chapter 2 in Tanya, he says in the end of chapter 1, he says every single Jew has two souls. You have two souls. It's not like people think there's just a a yetzer tov and a yetzer hara, and there just is a person, and there's two different um, uh, uh, things. There's two completely different personas in us. And as it says in Ecclesiastes, there is a small city, and the people there are few. And a great king comes, and he puts traps in the city. And then a uh, wise, wretched man comes and he fills the city with uh, wisdom and people do not remember 
the, the, the wise man. What is this referring to? The small city is ourselves. And we have these two souls. And again, they're not, it's not just two different yetzers, two personas. Each of them want to control all of our feelings, all of our desires, everything about us. The animal soul wants to control. That's the great king that surrounds the city with traps. The wise man, the wretched wise man, he's called wretched because his ideas don't seem to be so attractive in this world. He seems to be interested in things which are unimportant. And he, the, the limbs, the, there are few people in the city. That's referring to the limbs of the body. So there's a city, and there's this king, and he's, and he's trapping us. It's the animal soul. The ego, that wants to control all, every, every part of us. And it says that when the wise man comes to save the city, no one remembers him. Which What that means is, is that when we're engrossed in our Egypt, and when we're obsessed in it, to the point that we don't even realize we're in it, what do we think that this is who we are? The word klippa, the animal soul comes from klippa. Klippa means literally appeal. The forces of evil are termed in Kabbalah by the word klippa. Klippa means appeal. And the reason why klippa, why klippa is called klippa, why it's called appeal, is because it's like the peel of a fruit. Although it seems like it's something that puts us down and takes us away from where we should be. On the other hand, it's what makes us be the people who we are. The famous story, I don't know who this is with, I know people attribute this to the rabbi, I haven't seen this yet, that this, this man comes to the rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I, um, I don't understand why God makes things so hard. So the rabbi says, what's your favorite hobby? And he says, my favorite hobby is to draw. Okay, and uh, who is your favorite artist? Your favorite artist is Picasso. Which and which? Uh, what's your favorite work that Picasso did? And he, and, and he says some waterfall that Picasso. He says, so let's say you take a, a camera and you take a picture of the same exact image that Picasso drew. Which one would be more exact? Of course, the the camera. The camera's image would be more exact. And and how much is the camera's image worth? A quarter. How much is Picasso's image worth? 20, 30 million. What's the difference? doesn't know. The difference is, said the rabbi, is that he put his life into that, into that drawing. I know some people, I have a friend of mine who made a movie, and he spent 10 years of his life, he sold the movie to Sony, and Sony uh, butchered the movie, or butchered the, the noble theme he had in the movie, and he redid the movie, just for himself, because it's his artwork, and he wanted to preserve his artwork to be the way he wanted to be. He, people, in their artwork, they put themselves in their artwork. It, it becomes them. So our animal soul, our challenge through our animal soul, is the peel of our fruit. It's what makes us become who we are. It makes us not become robots. Sometimes, you know, I feel like all the different things I have in myself that are, that are challenging to, to that... Uh, wouldn't it be great not to have those things? No. But then if I didn't have those things, that wouldn't be me, right? right. So, so um, if we were looking to ourselves, we would see immediately that most of our feelings, most of our thoughts, most of our attitudes and perspectives are the animal soul. And all of a sudden we feel this gap between what we, where we want to be and where we are. Where... 
we feel right now and how we should feel. And where we are in the present and how we like things to be. And this gap that we feel is an opportunity. It doesn't feel good. The gap you feel doesn't feel good. And yet, and we have a choice. We could run away from that feeling. We could run away from that, 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 that icky feeling like I'm not where I should be, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And that's and that, and and then we're being we're, we're back in Egypt again. We're, that's what the Kotzker meant. He says Hashem takes us out of the patience of Egypt. He says, don't be patient with Egypt. Don't listen to that voice that says it has to be this way. That you have no chance to go out. That feeling, that gap that you feel is an opportunity to that. You have to know when you had that feeling of that gap. You know why is it this way? This is your opportunity to, to grow. In Hebrew, the word for a birthing stool, is a mashbir. Mashbir is also the word, word for failure. The, the fact that you feel like a failure, you're not the way you want to be, that actually, if you know, that feeling has a, the, the ability to cr- make us born anew. That's an amazing power that we have. When you have that feeling, you know you're ready to grow. That feeling tells you that beneath the surface of all the things that you're thinking and doing, there is another life that's out there for you, that's in you. And that's why you feel this gap. And so when you when you have this vision and you and on the other hand you feel, you're looking at the way you are now and, and you feel this this gap, you, you have the opportunity to say to yourself, I'm going to commit, or everyone said he prefers the word inspire rather than the word commit. I'm inspired really seriously to make the changes I need to make. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to uh, uh, succumb to the notion that I can't get out. I believe that I have in me. You know, every single day, we um, repeat again and again how God took us out of Egypt. God took us out of Egypt. Every mitzvah, what that means is, she was constantly telling us we have to remember how the, the powers Hashem has given us, the godly soul Hashem has given us, is infinite. It doesn't end. It doesn't stop. When you think it has an end, when you think there is a limit to what you could do, that that that's 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 Egypt. Yankel goes to a wedding, and Yankel hangs up his coat in the coat room, and he puts his key in the pocket of the coat. He comes back, and he looks for the key, and he didn't have a good friend like Zeb Kessler would give him one of those um, things, you know, those those tile things that you know where where, where the key is. Mm. So he doesn't have one of those. And uh, he says, where's the key? And he notices that the coat immediately adjacent to his coat is the same coat as his. And he probably put the key into Shmerel's coat. Not he probably, he put the key into Shmerel's coat. He doesn't want to put his hands into Shmerel's coat. So he waits for Shmerel to come. And he says, Shmerel, you know, I think I put my key into your pocket. And Shmerel says, okay. And Shmerel puts his hand in the pocket. He says, no, I'm sorry. And Shmerel starts to leave. Yankel says, do me a favor. Could I just check your pocket for a second? And Shmerel says, sure, check my pocket. And Yanko puts his hand in Shmerel's pocket and he discovers the key. The question is, how come Shmerel didn't discover the key and Yanko did? And the answer is, it's Yanko's key. And Yanko knows for sure. It's inspired to find it. Yanko knows that that key, that, that key is there. Yanko put the key there. There's a big difference between, between um, Knowing that you have a godly soul and believing in it 
and uh, and not knowing about that. That's what the key is of leaving Egypt. When someone, like, say, uh, decides to take care of their health, they start to jog every morning, they start to do something, we're not categorized, classified, only by the thoughts that we have, but our choices really define us. I, I heard the story, I don't know who the story was with, there was a gentleman who was celebrating his 80th birthday party, and they were discussing... These guys are very, very rich men, and and he had his, you know, his private jet and all these companies that he that he created, and they asked him what was the height of your career, and he said he asked the audience, what do you think the height of my career was? Oh, when you had your first million, you got married, you had your first grandchild, the height of my career, the height of my life, he said it was when I was in Auschwitz. I was in Auschwitz. They gave us a blanket, and they gave me the blanket, and they put us on this on these in this bunk which has enough room for the blanket only to spread out to five people. And I gave the blanket and there was and there was and there was six people on each on each um, bunk on each yeah. and, and I gave the I could have held on to the blanket, but I gave it away. Why did I give it away? Where did it come from? Maybe discovered there's something in me that's not egotistical. That's not the way things seem. That have something else in me that's beyond that. And the question we have to ask ourselves, am I ready to leave Egypt? Am I ready to invest? It's not a question if I can leave Egypt. For sure we can. We have the key. We have a godly soul. That's our real identity. The question is, am I ready? We have to ask ourselves, am I ready to leave Egypt? Am I ready to invest? And uh, this, this, um, this question that we ask ourselves has to summon within us this commitment, this inspiration, that I'm going to make choices. We don't realize, Viktor Frankl, also in Auschwitz, a famous uh, therapist, famous inventor of logotherapy, he said he saw in Auschwitz all kinds of people, people who were human and acted like animals, and people who were animals acted like humans. And he said that, acted not just humans, acted superhuman. He says the one thing that you that you can never be, lose is your free choice. Our choices that we make, that those that's really defines us. The actions that we take, are more important than the thoughts that we have, and the choices we make are, are really define where we are and where we're going, who we are. Yankel, thinking of Yankel a lot today, as usual. Yankel's very sensitive. Yankel's very easily insulted. Yankel gets angry very easily. So my friend, his rabbi, had a discussion with Yankel about sensitivity. And basically, when a person gets angry, where, where does it come from? Why does, why does a person get angry? A person's in a situation, and they feel that they're losing control, and they're frightened, and they feel the ground is being pulled out from underneath them. And they don't have in their memory um, some similar experience to know how to deal with the situation. And so they feel they're losing control, and they, they feel a lack of security. And so they want to um, they want to get back into control. And so and so that's that's why they raise their voices and do all these things, but it's really coming from a it's a feeling of fear. So when someone gets angry at you, there's no reason to be angry back. Because just like when a little child gets upset, what do you do? What's the, what's the right response if a child gets upset? You're not supposed to tell the child. Why are you getting upset? What's the matter with you? The child's going to be upset because a child is feeling, he's feeling not safe, not feeling okay. 
So when we need to do, when we see our, our child, see our son, see your daughter, what do you do? You want to lessen the pain that they're experiencing. You want them to feel better. You want to finish their, you want to pick them up. You want to, you, you want, you want to get them out of that, of that zone of, um, of, of, um, of fear. You want, to make, you want to lighten their burden. And so too with this, um, with this adult, it's the same thing. He is like the child. So, so you want to, you, you need to address the situation the way it really is. People don't respond to a situation the way it is. They just respond to it according to, according to how they feel. But we have a choice. Someone says to you, you are saying foolish things. You're saying idiotic things. So you have a choice how you want to respond. One way of responding is, I'm saying idiotic things, you're saying idiotic things. Where does that come from? It sounds like a person who has a lot of self-confidence, but it's the opposite. The reason why the person says this is because they don't feel safe in themselves, therefore they want to they want to to um, exhibit that they are in control, that they do have something to say. They, but we have another way of responding. We can respond calmly with a smile. Well, I do say idiotic things sometimes. But um, let me tell you why I think the way I do, and maybe maybe you have your perspective, and that's fine. And it's great you have your perspective. And it's great that I have my perspective. And that's the way, the way the world is. So we have that uh, we have that 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 uh, choice. How we um, and when you make that choice, that you say that you feel like you're in control and you can respond the way you want to respond, you feel all of a sudden this this uh, this tremendous. Um, value of yourself, that you have this freedom to respond the way that that, that, that you um, are supposed from your neshama, you have to respond from your soul so bottom line is we can't give the uh, our, our, our the control of our lives to someone who is not in control of their own life and respond to, with anger, with more anger and uh, we have to, have to look in that moment, you have to Say to yourself, this person doesn't feel safe, and that's why they're reacting this way. And they don't give them the control of your life. Instead, you should be like their parents, and you should help lighten their burden, and, and so that they don't feel so. When you make that choice, that you want to, that you that you're not you're not forced to respond a certain way, as the famous teaching of uh, also the Katskarebbe, he said. If I am I because you are you, and you are you because I am I, then I am not I and you are not you. But if I am I because I am I, and you are you because you are you, then I am I and you are you, and then we can talk. So that's, that's the meaning of, of uh, leaving, leaving Egypt. We're able to look into ourselves and to ask where, where that feeling of, of, of the gap you're feeling in your life is coming from, and to use that feeling and to and to actually make the steps to go out of where you are, to make actual feel the responsibility. I can make a difference, I can change this. And to make the steps to uh, to get there. And this is how we uh, this is this is the road to Mashiach, it's the road to Gul. The Gul is about freedom. Hashem frees the Jewish people. And it starts by each of us freeing ourselves from the bondage of the voice of the Pharaoh within us, the animal soul within us, that says. No, you have to be this way. You're always going to be this way. You can't change these things. And we have to respond, no, I, I have the key. The key is in my hand. I have this key. And um, uh, 
I'm going to leave. Leave Egypt. Any questions or comments? Thank you. All right, thank you. Have a great day.